You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome. You're listening to Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. And today in studio, I have with me David Donaldson and one of our favorite guests, Alice Wellens, licensed clinical social worker who has her practice here in Atlanta. And I'm just going to go ahead and give you the details, but we'll give them throughout the show on Alice and her practice. So if you want to know more about what we're talking about today or the many other areas in which Alice is an expert, go to her website at www.alice, and it's spelled a little differently, A-L-Y-C-E-Wellens, W-E-L-L-O-N-S.com. So that's alicewellens.com. So thank you for being here, David, from Atlanta Healing Center, and Alice from Alice Wellens Practice. I'm always <laughs> excited to be here with you guys. One of my Very favorite things. Well, this is, I think, a very interesting topic, and you had a great article that was published recently that you shared with us, which was um, much appreciated. And the way you started out, <laughs> talking about when you started practice, that we didn't have cell phones and emails and texts and all of those kinds of things. And I thought, when I started practice, we barely had... Calculators, calculators, you know, the ones that you could actually move off a desk was actually pretty, um, pretty high tech. So, yes, things have evolved. And so today we're going to talk about telehealth and telemedicine and how that is being integrated into therapy, treatment programs, and how you're integrating it into your practice. We'll talk a little bit about how we're integrating it into the Atlanta Healing Center Mm -hmm. as well, because um, this is new territory, and with it comes lots of new opportunities, but also some downsides that I think we have to be real careful with and inform ourselves, our colleagues, and our patients what some of the potential risks are. So I'm I'm real excited. So thank you for this topic. Absolutely. It's a it's a really fascinating and rich discussion and you're exactly right. It has risks and it has rewards and it's up to us as practitioners and um, people who are in the field practicing to make sure that we do it ethically and with integrity and also with confidentiality, which is the cornerstone of of our work, but also to be um, relevant and moving forward Mm -hmm. and providing treatment options for our patients and clients um, in ways that uh, can give them the you know the most service so it's it's a really interesting time well and we also have a have a different responsibility for patient safety than we had in the past that mm-hmm. we also need to kind of spell out in terms of logistics of how to do this in a safe way emotionally and and physically mm-hmm. yeah. so yeah there's just all sorts of um of different ways in which the professions themselves have had to evolve technology is certainly evolving whether we're involved or not that's evolving um but as you mentioned in your article it's the wild wild west in terms of what 
do the um, what do the legal entities, our licensing boards, our malpractice carriers, um, what do the ethics of, of practice, and then what are some of the ways in which we need to think about and be careful with how information may be accessed. So one of the things that happens in my office when patients first come in is I've got a stack of papers and of course they're looking at me like (laughs) what's going on and why have you killed so many trees but I tell them I'm a bit paranoid and because we have special regulations most people know about HIPAA which is uh, healthcare privacy We have, because we treat a lot of folks with the disease of addiction, we have another level up called 42 CHR Part 2, which are the special federal regulations around confidentiality concerning people who might have the diagnosis of addiction, and that we have a really very stringent way in which we have to protect those records. So I tell people that I'm paranoid and that I'm old school and that uh, in order to really protect their records, we have a paper chart because you can't hack paper. That now juxtaposing with, and maybe we're going to have you join a group via Zoom, or maybe we're going to do you know, a phone call therapy session. It, it takes on a whole new a whole new way of thinking about it. So let me back up a minute and let me ask you how this began to evolve in your practice. Okay. Well, you brought up some really wonderful points that I know we'll get to, and they're, they're, really, um, they're really exciting points, and we can talk about that when we get there. So, um, so the, main, the main reason why I'm doing this in my practice is because I am moving to North Carolina. In the spring. The secret is out. The secret is out. And we're brokenhearted. And I am too. <laughs> I've been telling everybody I'm in complete denial, so we're just going to go along until one day you get here and I'm not here. And you're not here anymore. <laughs> right, there's a sticky note on the door. Call me. <laughs> um, so I'm moving to North Carolina to be with my parents. And it's overall a very happy thing mm-hmm. and, an, and an exciting thing. They're, they're healthy, and I want to go be with them while they're healthy. Sure. Um, and so overall, that is a really good thing. The, the sad thing is leaving this, this um, practice. You know, that has been the most emotional part of the entire process. It's something that when I was 16 years old, I wrote in my journal my plan for the next 20 years. Did and you it really? was graduate from college <laughs> with a degree in psychology, go to graduate school and get an MSW. I'd already researched what the steps were, work for three years, and then start a practice. And wow, you know, I so it's been a dream, it's been a passion, it's been a love, um, it's been, you know, it's been. It's woven into every aspect of my life, and it's been the, the best gift I ever could have gotten as a profession. But I did all that here in Atlanta. So to leave that is a very, very emotional experience. And I've decided to be really open about that, talking mm-hmm. about it here and talking about it with my clients, um, and that we're going we're gonna to make this um, transition together. 
Mm-hmm. And it's an opportunity for us to reevaluate people's therapy and where they are. I'm letting them know what I'm doing. And then we'll discuss together how they want to, um, what they need for their mm-hmm. therapy. Some people will decide that they'll come along and try the online piece. And right. some people will decide maybe they really need somebody in person. And so we'll, we'll help navigate that. But what I'm going to do is... I'm going to be in the office one week a month through September. The office here in Atlanta. Here in Atlanta. Okay. And the other three weeks, I'm going to do telehealth. So people will have the option to continue their sessions in between um, online. And then also people who just want online therapy. And we can talk about the pros and cons of that. So that's what prompted this. And then I have spent the past, um, pretty much the past eight months diving into deep dive into the field of online psychotherapy electronic health records who is eligible for it who is not when it works when it doesn't insurance all of that so hopefully that's all the stuff or juicy stuff we'll talk about juicy stuff to talk about (laughs) today because i think not only is important for therapists and uh, referral sources to understand this, but it's really important for pa- patients too, so and their families, so they can make informed decisions about what's going to be best for them. Because immediately, I think most people think, "Oh, great! I don't have to get in the car. I don't have to drive through the driving rain here in Atlanta today. Um, I can just be at home in my jammies, and I can." Um, have a therapy session with um, Alice Wellens at alicewellens.com and um, I can um, I can get my needs met um, but then there's sometimes some other thoughts that come with that and and what is that actually going to mean yeah well and it's becoming such a such an emphasis in the field that at least for the for the CACs, it's now a required part of the recertification process that we have six hours in training towards that. And I'm assuming that's happening in the other the other um, health care services as well, um, because part of what they're talking about is that this is going to become one of the main ways of delivering services in the in the not too distant future. It, and now, I mean, you know, now you can go to the emergency room and somebody in another country could read your X-ray. Um, it's great for people in rural areas, for people who have illnesses, young children, travel restrictions. Um, tra- or who travel themselves. Or who travel themselves, who have severe anxiety that limits their ability to move around. Mm-hmm. Um, also, people feel sometimes more comfortable in their own home. And so the ability for them to even consider entering the process of psychotherapy, it's a wonderful starting point. So you have a lot of really wonderful aspects of it. And, David, you're right. Um, our Georgia, I'm really proud of Georgia. When this when this all began, it used to be if your client was going on vacation or to a wedding or in crisis out of town, you just hopped on the phone and talked to them. No big deal. Nobody gave a thought about it back in the 1900s. But, um, <laughs> but now there are all kinds of guidelines and compliances that need to and be in place. And restrictions that need to be in place for us to be able to do that. And it is still the wild, wild west. So... You know, we're still really finan- uh, working on the nuances of when you can do what and when you can't. 
but Georgia, when this all really began, um, was the first state to say, hey, we, you need six hours of training, um, ethics training in the ethics of telemental health. As a matter of fact, I just went to mine two Fridays ago. It was phenomenal. So it's really nice that we have that built in to help us understand and navigate that terrain. Absolutely. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about telehealth and services for psychotherapy. So thanks for listening. How does it go? Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business professionals, business practices, and fascinating individuals to get an insider view of how America works, 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. This is America's Web Radio, and I'm Dr. Susan Blank. In studio today, I have David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center, and from AliceWellens.com, I have Alice Wellens herself, uh, one of our favorite guests and good friends, and we're in mourning, but that's okay. (laughs) It's another story for another day. Outside work will have to be done, but um, Alice is branching out in her practice and has been gracious enough to really share with us her journey uh, through determining how to integrate technology and how to provide good care to her patients by doing a lot of the legwork that I'm afraid many people probably have not done nearly to the degree. So we did talk about some of the ways that patients might be able to access you and access services um, through the internet, through other than traditional, they come to your office, they sit in the chair, they talk with you, or they go to one of your groups or one of your lectures or your wellness um, programs. So the, the face-to-face, we all know about that, but what, what's next? Well, we mentioned several platforms in our first segment about that that people can use. And essentially, it's on the provider. So it's on us to research and find the platforms that provide safety and confidentiality for our clients. And there are lots of them out there. Um, so you all mentioned Zoom. Zoom is great, but not all Zoom is HIPAA compliant. You have to get the HIPAA-compliant version, which is encrypted on both ends. 
And that's the main word that you're looking for. So this is really more towards practitioners right now is... Well, people need to know to ask their yeah to ask their you know, therapist are or, your are your platforms that you're using HIPAA compliant and are they encrypted? That is a whole separate thing. And so, as practitioners, we need to do the legwork to find out is it encrypted, which means all the information that goes one way gets gets jumbled and encrypted, and all the information that comes back to us gets jumbled and encrypted. So someone can't hack in. Someone cannot and hack in into and your listen. system ne- or never watch be able you to. Or whatever. The second layer that is really important that a lot of practitioners don't know about is asking any company that you work with for a BAA, which is a business associate agreement. And that means that you're saying to them, hey, I'm in a business association agreement with you. You're telling me everything is HIPAA compliant and encrypted, and I'm telling you everything on my end is HIPAA and client and, and encrypted. So we're kind of sharing the responsibility. Now, just as an aside, you can take this to the extreme, and there are some practitioners who would say the water guy who delivers the water needs to dis- needs to sign a BAA in your office to say, I, com- I have complete respect of confidentiality agreement of anything I see and hear when I come into your office. So that's how far out you can take these things. Um, but in technology, those are the things you're looking for. So things like Skype. That is not HIPAA compliant. That is not encrypted. Things like that is not safe. That is not <laughs> safe. Do people use it? I'm sure they are. Um, FaceTime not HIPAA compliant. Not encrypted. Zoom not safe. Zoom not safe. is not HIPAA compliant. Not encrypted. Not safe unless it's on redirect and has a BAA, which they offer. So you have to do your legwork and you have to dig down on those next layers. What I did is I just um, purchased a contract with an electronic health record, an EHR. And I'm probably not as subjected as you are as a medical office to all the needs that you have. But my EHR handles all of that for me. So they... it. They already have encrypted. They already have a business associate agreement. They already have all of that in place. Um, so I use that for for everything, for my video links, for my paperwork, for my um, chatting back and forth for sessions. They also has a, a calendar that you can use and everything. They take care of all of that, BAA, encrypted, HIPAA compliant, right off the bat. So you're not piecing it together. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's important to talk about because Skype has kind of become a, a verb. Yeah. Let's just Skype this call this afternoon. Mm-hmm. And so people get really used to just the idea of picking up the and having – not that I know a lot of people who actually do use Skype, but it's become just part of the language. And so when we're talking about, okay, we're going to have an actual session right. on Zoom, Zoom gives the option of a video um, or or – Audio. audio, but it's still going through the Zoom system, so it's still a scheduled meeting. Um, either side can have a have a printout of every word that's spoken in the midst of that, which for charting is good. Yeah, um, <coughs> yeah. Um, but so it's actually allowing for visual, being able to see the person and being able to see expressions and and how people are responding to things in real time, which is is nice in, in the sense of still having that therapy experience. 
Yeah, you can have a video experience or you can have phone. And a lot of people want to pick up their iPhone, call their client, right. and have a session. <laughs> iPhone no. is not HIPAA compliant. iPhone is not encrypted. But what you have now are apps that your, your phone number or you can get a new phone number goes through the app and you call clients through that app. And it is HIPAA compliant and it is encrypted. A few that a lot of people who I'm on a lot of um, forums of online therapists internationally, a few that a lot of people use are Spruce or iPlum. Um, they also have HIPAA compliant emails, faxes, and video. Um, Spruce has email, fax, video, and phone. So, and they're all encrypted. So they're, they're really easy ways to do it. It's just doing your homework, right? And we do old school landline wired <laughs> to the wall um, because, again, you have to be really thinking not just what are you doing as the therapist providing the service, but what is the person at the other end doing? Are they sitting in um, a coffee shop? using a public Wi-Fi with people walking by eating donuts, you know, is it is that how they want to uh, risk having their information shared? You know, again, you have to be really careful as you're planning your sessions, how is that person going to also be in a place that is safe and that is private? And they need to be thinking about that, too. Right. And that's one of the things that I'm doing right now is talking a lot with clients about, you know, our work is very, it's private, it's confidential, which is the cornerstone of, of, of the power of therapy, but it's also sacred. And so... You setting up a place and a space that allows you for that privacy, allows you for that non-interruption, and allows you for that headspace to really focus for that 50 minutes on yourself and the work that we're doing. And so a lot of clients are starting to say, well, let me think about where that would be, where that would be in my day, where that would be in my home. or and also where that would be internally. So if there if I'm at the office and I shut the door, what could I do internally to make that shift in that moment? You right. know, maybe I could pull out my crystal out of my desk and you know <laughs> put it there, or the my book that's been a really inspirational um, help to my work. Right. So it's it's a lot of educating around creating that space for the work to continue. Correct. Right, and especially using that word, that this is, is sacred work. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, I can easily picture people scheduling this on their two-hour tra- commute home sitting in traffic, which is not safe or illegal, but still I can see people doing it <laughs> right. yeah. if, if they're not given that real clear message. message. Or yeah. that someone, the kids come home from school, or their spouse walks in the door, or their secretary's listening at the door so that they can, not, not secretary, we don't use that word again. Assistant. Assistant. <laughs> Executive thank you, assistant. Thank you, thank you, thank um, you. They're listening at the door to, you know, remind you that you've got a, a meeting or if someone's on the phone. Thinking those things through yeah, and it's really important. And as therapists and you know, center owners, we create that space mm-hmm. for them. And so now it's just taking that work and extending it out. And and that can become a beautiful part of therapy is how can you create this space in your life? Where are you going to put yourself 
in that hour as the utmost important thing that's happening right. right then. And that can actually also create some changes in their lives or in their homes that are very beneficial to the work that they're mm-hmm. doing. We've been very um, blessed at the Atlanta Healing Center to have Michael Daly, one of our owners, who is an architect. And as we were building out our building, there was a lot of thought, a lot of headaches and hair pulling um, on Michael's part, but a lot of thought about the flow of patients, how do we keep the office spaces, the group spaces, private, quiet, but safe. So we've chosen to have glass doors, French doors in every room, so that the therapist can be seated so that we can see everything's safe, everything's okay, the the patient not be seen, Um, different parts of our uh, building are more soundproof mm-hmm. uh, we have sound machines we have built into that a lot of thought about the ambient ambiance uh, of the of the setting the fireplaces in the offices yeah. the colors all of those things we try and create that kind of space um, and so I think a lot of times, and I know that you've done that with your office too, Alice, and so a lot of times people don't really realize that mm-hmm. just walking in that building, there is a, a change in how the person breathes and how they feel and leaving stuff outside the door. That's an intentional thing that mm-hmm. a lot of thought goes into. So now they've got to do that for themselves mm-hmm. Uh, with some guidance, obviously, mm-hmm. um, from from you as the therapist, but they've got to create, be able to create that shift in physiology and brain waves and uh, and all of those things to be able to do the work. And so it's not just a matter of this is really convenient mm-hmm. or I like my home, but how do I create that space and that kind of attention to detail? that happens automatically when you walk in a therapy office. Yeah, how can I show up for myself and create space for myself that allows me to be present and engage in this sacred work? Mm -hmm. So we are going to take another break now, and when we come back we're going to talk a little bit more about what are some of the legal ramifications that we have to think about in doing this kind of work and providing these services for our patients. So please stay tuned. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. 
This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business professionals, business practices, and fascinating individuals to get an insider view of how America works, 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not... You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is America's Web Radio. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and you're listening to Detailing Addiction. Today, David Donaldson and I are happy to spend uh, this 
session with uh, <laughs> our favorite therapist, Alice Wellens. And uh, if you'd like to know more about her practice, it's www.alice, A-L-Y-C-E, Wellens is W-E-L-L-O-N-S dot com. Her website is very user-friendly and lots of good information available for you to, um, to look at and think about. So today we're talking about how she is expanding her practice due to some needs and wants related to family, which um, we can't argue with, unfortunately. <laughs> On the air. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do that later. And we really like your mom, who's actually been in been the studio, in the studio um, once when we were doing a show a couple of years ago. So shout out to, yeah. to mom. Hi, mom. Um, we are um, sad she's taking you away, but happy for all of yeah. you to be together. But this creates then this new opportunity. And as we said, there's a lots of opportunities now to provide services to people that might not have been available before. But now there's some legal things, um, important ones that are essential for therapists, for providers to know about, and for um, patients and clients to be thinking about as they're making their decision about how to access care in this manner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I want to just go here and say um, the telemental health, the ethics of telemental health workshop that I did two weeks ago was with Dr. Becky Beaton, and I just cannot recommend her workshop highly enough and a lot of a lot of uh, what we're talking about today was confirmed you know my own research was confirmed by her which was really helpful to know um, so it's really helpful to think about this in terms of several different baskets the first is legal mm-hmm. then there's ethics and then there's risk management. Mm-hmm. So you kind of want to be thinking about the decisions you're making from those three categories. Um, regarding legal, that really is cut and dry. So you go to your state licensing board and you look up your license in the Secretary of State website and you find out what your parameters are for doing this and what you need to do to do this. Um and how much you can do, where, and when. And that that brings up the next issue is the general rule. And, again, I'm a social worker, so I'm only speaking to social workers. I encourage everybody to look at your own license and see what your parameters are. But the general rule is you can only see clients if they are in the state where you are licensed. So I am licensed in Georgia and North Carolina. So I can only see clients under my role as a psychotherapist if they are in Georgia or North Carolina at the time of the session. They can be from Illinois and be a student at the University of North Carolina, and I could see them. It's not residence. It's It's, where they are at the time of the session. I can be anywhere. I could be in Mexico, I could be in Nebraska, but they have to be in that state. So that's the general rule. Now, if a client is in, they're in Iowa and I'm in North Carolina or Georgia and they're in crisis, ethically, 
we are to serve our clients in crisis. So if that means we call them on the phone, you know, we sort of try to figure out what's going on and problem solve and help stabilize the crisis, you're not you're not really going to get dinged for that. Legally, cut and dry, are you supposed to do that? Probably not. But ethically and risk management, yeah, you want to do that. Our first rule is to take care of our clients. So you're always looking at it through those three lenses. Um, the next step that you want to do is call your malpractice insurance company. They are such an underutilized resource for therapists and find out, hey, am I allowed to practice um, online and what are my parameters for doing that? And if you get a sticky situation like your client is going to Norway for two years and they still want to see you, then just call them up and find out how what's what are the best steps for me to do to see a client internationally. And there's a whole other discussion about that as well. So then I assume at that point you just have them route their call through <laughs> Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I mean, because a big part of it, all seriousness in terms of risk management, there's certain amounts of, of patient safety that you still have to be mindful of, even if you're not physically anywhere near them. Right. And that's what we have. So if you practice online, one of the very first things that you do, and there's their templates or you kind of create your own that fits best for your practice, is a, a sheet and it talks about where the very first thing a client does when you get on an online session, where are you, what is your address, and what is your um, preferred um, place you would like to go and person you would like to call if there's an emergency during the session. So that's actually in your informed consent and in your intake paperwork with the client. So they have set up their own emergency plan, and that's in front of you at the beginning of every telemental health session. So there's no question about it. If they go into crisis, you have a number and you have a place you would like that they would like to go, meaning a receiving facility, um, and that they have chosen for themselves really important because Very sometimes important. as you as you know in the midst of a session the person begins to understand, remember, reveal something that may be very emotionally um, uh, dangerous for them in terms of their feeling of safety. Uh, they may have walked in your office already with thoughts of hurting themselves or mm-hmm. somebody else. Uh, they may be picking up and, and logging in to talk to you, and they already have those thoughts. And so yeah. as you explore, you need to know how do I access our emergency services for them? And that's emergency. The next step down would be just the same that we would do in our in-person office, is if something really came up for somebody and they weren't suicidal, but they were clearly either emotionally flooded or dysregulated or needed a lot of support, what would we do? We would sit and talk with them. Where are you going after this? Who might you call after this? What type of support might you need after this? Do we need a check-in session before your next session? That you would do the exact same thing mm-hmm. online. What are you going to do after this session? Who could you call? Would you like an in-between connection? So a lot of people get really scared about the crisis stuff, and there are some things that do need to be addressed, but a lot of it are things we would do exactly as how we would do it if they were in our office, which is kind of nice. 
Right. Yeah. You don't have to learn a new skill set, just a new phone number. Right. <laughs> With a bigger urgency to remember to do this. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to have this conversation, and we're going to find out who it's okay for us to contact if we need to, and going ahead and having that, that all signed and emailed back and forth. Okay. Right, and that's really one of the critical pieces of practicing online is not leaving you or your client vulnerable to an incident coming up like that. Um, so that is really an important thing for somebody who's going to practice online to make sure they're on top of. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So um, in terms of um, thinking about um Doing all of this, I would imagine then that these kinds of forms would need to be available on your website mm-hmm. or that you're emailing them to that person so that they can actually uh, fill them out, sign them, and get them back to you or use an electronic signature. So all of that has to be worked out logistically as well. Right. And so that can happen in several ways. If you use an electronic health record, then those forms are in there and you would just modify them to your specific practice. Um, and then you can email them through the portal. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of like you. You you mentioned a little while in the very beginning, you can have a hybrid. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. I am not 100% comfortable with having all that paperwork out there in the ethers. So so while I'm exploring and enjoying, actually, the practicing online with HIPAA and encrypted software, um, I like my paperwork to be paper. So I just securely email them the paperwork, and they can email it back, and then I print it out and have a chart, along with all the other information that we just Mm -hmm. went over. The most important thing are your policies and procedures, and that's where all this stuff is covered. How you contact me, when you contact me, you know, the emergency contact, where you would like to go, scheduling, everything is in your policy and procedures. And so that is something that you can email the client, and then they email it back that they've signed it with an electronic signature, and then you go over it in your session, first or second, third, all sessions. Yeah. We're part of this in-between generation right. where we're still hanging on to paper. Yeah. And we still have a paper oh. calendar and an electric calendar. Right. Yeah, we, we have keep both. each other just <laughs> crazy dealing with that. The, the next generation really is much, much more right. comfortable with electronics. If you ask them to write an assignment, their brain goes blank. If you tell them to type an assignment, it comes out beautiful, and all of these things come out, which is exact opposite of what it was you know, us. 10 years yeah. ago. Right. Um, and so recognizing that... Sometimes your clients mm-hmm. are, are much more comfortable online than, yeah. than we are at this point. So they have the option. You know, they can they can fill it out online and just email it back, or they can take it, print it, write it all out, scan it, and send it back. However they want to do it, um, we can meet their comfort level. Um, so, And then we're going to print it off and put it in a chart. <laughs> and, I, and I tell them that I have a paper chart, and I'm going to print it off and keep it, and I keep it seven years past the date of our last session, and then it's, you know. Then it's purged. Then it's purged. And um, that's really the big question that we discussed in our workshop a few weeks ago is what ha- how do they purge these charts 
in the cloud. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot, of, I'm sure somebody could answer that. We didn't go into that. But that is a question to ask. If you use an electronic health record, how do you purge these, these charts? Um, you know, do we need to understand that? So that is another question that's out there. Mm-hmm. But I'm subletting my office the three weeks that I'm not there to a younger therapist, wonderful younger therapist. And we were talking about keys and locking up charts. And she goes, oh, you don't need to worry about that. I have a complete electronic health record. And I thought, yes, of course you do, because that is the future. Yeah. <laughs> that is the future that we're going kicking and screaming into into the future of, um, you know, these, these questions. And we have been as... Um, behavioral health, psychiatry, therapy, addiction, medicine. We have been the redheaded stepchild in many ways, and we have been um, pulled apart from regular health care. Now they're wanting to bring us in, and a lot of these issues are becoming part of the ethical battle mm-hmm. battleground. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about that ethical battleground. Thanks for listening. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. This is America's Web Radio, and I'm Dr. Susan Blank. Today, David Donaldson and I are pleased to be able to spend some time with Alice Wellens, and she's teaching us and all of you the... um, 
the risks, the benefits, and the pitfalls. Now we want to go to the practical experience. What is it like? What is it like for you? What are your clients telling you? Um, what happens? Well, no, I'm not going to ask that question. So what's your, what's your experience with it so far? So the article I wrote recently, the, I put a quote at the top. And the quote says, let go or be dragged. Because <laughs> for me, that's how, and I think of the generations, mine and then the ones before me, that's what it feels like in a lot of ways. We know we have to. It's just challenging in a lot of ways. So, you know, we've used the word sacred to describe the process of psychotherapy, the experience of psychotherapy. And that is truly truly what it is for me so to think about how to position that with technology just was curious I guess at the end of the time at the end of it it was curious a lot of people are fighting it you know they're fighting it you can't do it it's not the same and all these things I have to tell you I have been pleasantly surprised A lot of things are transferable that you might not have imagined are transferable. My experience so far has been doing it with clients that I already have seen in my in-person practice. So there is already a connection. Most of the time, there's already a deep connection. So once we get on the screen... You know, and you make the slight adjustments of the tilt and the sound, um, then we just jump right into it. And that's been nice. It's been really nice. The pitfall is the technology is just not quite there. Yes. There are there are breaks in the connection. Um, you have to get out and get back in sometimes multiple times during this during the session. Um, you have to you have to teach clients to like do small things like close out all the open windows on your device. Um, a computer is probably going to be better than a phone. Um, if you have poor internet connection, it's going to be even more challenging. So that's just that's just part of the process. That's part of the terrain. Um, you know, we don't like that. We don't like interruptions. We don't like the flow being interrupted. Um, so we just talk about that beforehand. If this if this happens, this is what I'm going to do. So if our connection fails, I'm going to get out and try it again. So just look for me to pop back up. Um, and if it happens more than two or three times, or we don't, it, it feels too disruptive, then what would you like to do? Here are some options. We can switch over to a call, which is pretty much the main option. And that's what we do. So that's kind of, that's been interesting. But I have to tell you, I have done um, guided meditations online with clients. I have done IFS online with clients, which is internal family systems work, which, as you all know, is very powerful work. I have done tapping online with clients, EFT. Um, as I was actually just going to ask you about that because we've shared a, a number of clients in the past, and one thing they'll always talk about is how you get them so grounded physically. And, and I always think about a client talking about you having them actually lay on the floor and have their legs legs up the up wall. Legs up the wall. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Are you still able I'm to incorporate some so, of... So I'll ask them, would you like to do some of the same things that we do in the office to ground you before the session, ground you at the end of the session? And again, that goes back to our earlier conversation, setting up your space so you can really utilize it. And they'll go, yeah. So they'll position the camera and they'll do legs up the wall or we'll do a standing mountain and we'll both stand up and then we'll retilt our devices and, you know, we'll do a standing mountain with a grounding um, image. mantra and image to that. Um, we'll do counting breath work. So, you know, I don't know. I've been pleasantly surprised, and so far the feedback's been 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 cool. Um, doing couples work is fascinating. <laughs> That's got to be interesting. <laughs> So on these online forums, a lot of people talk about, yeah, we're doing couples work. What's the problem? So I'm, I follow some of those folks and learn what they're doing and watch how they're doing it. And sometimes both the people are together looking at one, you know, one screen and I'm in another place. Sometimes one couple's in one place, another's in another location, and I'm in a third location, and we're all on the screen. And what I've really learned is outside of some, you know, some specific instances, you just go with it and you just start the session as you would. What's going on? Where are you? What is it we'd like to do tonight? And you just, you know, as they they use the phrase, you just hold the space. Mm -hmm. You're just holding virtual space. Literally. <laughs> Literally. Virtual but space. energy travels. Mm -hmm. Energy travels. And you feel it. You attune to it. You pick up on it. You help them do the same. And you just work it. The downfalls, you can't give them a hug at the end. Some clients really like a hug. That mm -hmm. can be a very grounding and uh, loving thing. Um, you can't smell their breath. Right. <laughs> and in our field, Mm -hmm. That's important. We need to be able to do that. We need to be able to smell. And i that is one thing I have lost um, because I know that there could be something going on, especially with some people you know that's going to be right. a piece of what's going to show up. They might not see their eyes as well. They may have pulled back. They could pull back. Pulled back from the screen. and uh, They can mask some of those things that could be real clinical indicators. Right. Um, and so that is going to be a loss. But what I've done is I've just said it. I've said, you know, before maybe you've come in and we've I've smelled alcohol or I can tell you've used or I can tell you used last night and I have those cues in the room. I don't have them online. Um, how do you think we should talk about that? So I just put it right there good. Um, in the room. You know, and it doesn't mean that they're going to come forward with it, but it means I've named it. Mm -hmm. um, so, And that you so can talk about and it. You, yeah. yeah, you've made it a subject to be discussed. Yeah. How do they normally respond? They're like, yeah, I know. And and I like to use humor, so I'll often say, you're probably going to be able to get away with a lot. <laughs> and how do you feel that's going to impact our therapy? You know, so we just sort of plant those seeds that a lot of times might not get discussed in that session, but we can come back to it. We can come back to it. There's a, um, a support group that one of the treatment centers connects their people with when they're leaving mm -hmm. that actually will have the person blow into a breathalyzer at the beginning of these sessions. Mm -hmm. And show it. And show it. Yeah. Just for that accountability right. piece. That's excellent. And on the one hand, I kind of, my defensiveness goes up. And then on the other hand, it's like, okay, it just makes the conversation pass and you're able to keep moving forward. Right. Um, right. And I've seen it beneficial for a couple people. 
Yeah. Uh, to a different component of that, a lot of people who do online only and don't know their clients at all before, you know, they have them hold up their driver's license when they come in to show I am who I say I am. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, well, we don't do that in our in-person practice, and the very same thing could be happening. Somehow it just feels different. So there, we, we do. We get a copy, oh, you get a copy of your driver's, driver's license. license so. <laughs> Something I need to add to my informed consent. I'm always adding driver's license. Driver's license. Um, so they're just they're just things you're learning, but they're really sweet things. Like I can see people's dogs, and they show me their dogs, mm-hmm. which or their cats or their ferret or whatever it is. And for many people, that is such an emotionally supportive relationship. Mm-hmm. So for me to be able to see that, they all have the dog or the animal in their lap um, while they're doing therapy, that's been just a very tender, sweet thing. So I've really enjoyed that. Or just showing me something in their home mm-hmm. that is really meaningful to them and been part of their work. Um, so that's been a really sweet thing that I've enjoyed, too. Yeah. Yeah, I was um, in a session with a client not long ago where this person was talking about a relationship she's reconnected with from somebody years and years ago. And so far it had all been like emails and text message. And the, the gentleman had said, hey, let's FaceTime. And that was really threatening for her because mm-hmm. she needed some time to prepare for a FaceTime it's a sort of mm-hmm. interesting that we're just bringing this different dynamic into it all. Yeah, and it's wonderful. And uh, this is, I think, the the future. And I'm so grateful that we'll still stay connected. We have done a radio show a few weeks ago via Zoom. So we'll just Zoom you in and, and enjoy it again. I'd like to thank all of our listeners for listening. Please check out Alice's website at www.alicewellens.com. And know that now, wherever you are listening to this show, you too can <laughs> have a relationship with Alice in a therapeutic way. We'll see you next week on Detailing Addiction. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.